Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. I am really excited for this episode. I got to interview one of the founders of examine.com, which, if you aren't familiar, is a super awesome website that reviews research on various supplements and organizes all the evidence into these easy-to-read summaries and tables. Tons of dietitians and healthcare professionals reference their site all the time. They get over a million visits to their website every single month, and I just have to pinch myself that I had the opportunity to do this interview for the podcast. Cool story of how this came about. One of my RD friends put me in touch with Saul Orwell, the other co-founder of examine.com, who I had only briefly interacted with on social media in some SEO threads in the past, and we were chatting about a new product that Examine was coming out with called Examine Personalized that offered monthly curated research summaries on different nutrition topics for a monthly or annual recurring fee. And I was given complimentary access to check it out, and I loved it, by the way, since as you all know, I'm a total info hoarder, and I just love keeping up with the latest research, hence why I have my own membership site that keeps up with the research in functional nutrition. Um, So I decided to become an affiliate for their program. And when they launched in, I think it was July of this year, they were offering a special limited time discount, and I shared that promo with my Facebook group and my email list using my affiliate link, and 41 people signed up, which I think was a big win-win-win for everyone. So Saul reached out via email to say thank you, and we were just kind of brainstorming ways that we can continue to collaborate, and he volunteered to do an interview with me on the podcast, which is like so obvious in retrospect. It just kind of shows how green I am about pitching interviews to people. Like here I am like, hmm, how could we work together? And he's the one bringing up the idea of interviewing on my podcast. Like, duh. So anyway, since I usually interview nutrition professionals and Saul is more of like the marketing guy, he then connected me with his other co-founder, Kamal Patel, for this interview because he's like the nutrition guy. And it was so much fun to chat for an hour with one of the brains behind literally one of the biggest nutrition websites on the internet. And in this episode, we chat about the origin story of examine.com, what the website and business model looked like in 2011 versus today, how they grew the site to what it is today, how they run their business behind the scenes, where they see their platform going in the future, and some of the biggest lessons Kamal has learned from running this website for nearly a decade. And if you have any interest in checking out Examine Personalized and would like to go through my affiliate link, you can do that by going to theunconventionalrd.com examine. That will take you right to the Examine homepage where you can check out Examine Personalized. And if you do purchase through that link, I will earn a commission at no extra charge to you. And if it's easier, I will also put the links in the show notes to this episode. So if you're familiar with that, I I make notes for all the episodes on my website, theunconventionalrd.com. And you can just click the podcast tab, find this episode, episode number 48, and you'll be all good to go. Just click on my affiliate link for Examine Personalized, and you can choose to register if you'd like. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's actually going to be my last one for 2020, and I'm going to take the last two weeks of the year off to do some kind of bigger picture business planning for 2021 
and of course spend some quality time with my hubby and puppy. So with that being said, let's get right into the episode with Kamal. Hi, Kamal. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to talk to you about your experience founding one of the most popular nutrition websites on the internet, examine.com. So I don't know if all the people listening are familiar with examine. So could you start by maybe giving us a quick summary of what examine.com is and the type of content you publish? Sure. So examine is basically everything about nutrition and supplementation. Um, And we kind of struggle as to whether we can really be everything. You know, you can't target both uh, researchers and lay people and, you know, people wanting to learn basics and advanced stuff. But we try to do the best we can. And uh, we use research to just summarize uh, every issue, every supplement, every diet that we can think of. Um, And then we present the results in a somewhat systematic way um, in our research database uh, based on typically double-blind, randomized, controlled trials. I love that idea, and I use your and reference your website all the time, as I know many of my colleagues do. On this podcast, I interview kind of people in the nutrition field with unconventional careers, and I myself teach a lot of blogging strategy and that type of stuff. So this is right up my interest alley in terms of hearing about how you freaking grew this website into the behemoth that it is today. So I know people are going to be super inspired to hear how this all went down. Maybe we could start by getting a little bit of more insight into your background. Like what got you interested in nutrition? I know at some point you were pursuing a PhD. Like, can you give us more insight in that? Sure. So uh, I think the first time I really got interested in nutrition was maybe around sophomore year of college. Um, I I had a, a guy in my dorm who was just really jacked, you know, and I had never lifted a weight before. So I think I asked him something about weightlifting, but he was really intellectual and he said, what matters most is not sets and reps, but what you learn about nutrition. So I took that to heart. I went to the stacks in the library because um, it was more like physical journals then um, and just like went around and tried to read stuff. And I, and I eventually learned as much as I could. I started lifting weights. And I was interested in sports nutrition. And then that changed maybe about uh, five to 10 years later, I got into public health um, because of two things. One is that I realized that there was sort of a limit to sports nutrition. You could um, supplement your way to, you know, 5% or 10% greater gains, but it would marginally help you, but it wouldn't really help the populace in general. I mean, there's um, definitely benefits for supplementation for sarcopenia and stuff like that, but really it's um, it's other public health strategies that matter more. So I got into that and, and then personally, I got more into other aspects of nutrition Uh, when I had some joint issues um, and surgeries and trying to figure that stuff out. Um, So now I'm, I'm interested in everything. um, And I I just try to, I try to figure out what I do know, what I might know and and what I should learn more about. Yeah. Where did that kind of analytical interest in the research, like not everyone likes to read research papers. So where do you think that came from? My self-conception is that I love reading research, but In all actuality, I probably don't. You know, if I could outsource that part of my brain to somebody else and then just find out the results, I would do that. Um, But I guess that's that's what we do for people who read the website. But it's sort of a necessary evil because I'm sure your listeners get this too. Like you, you can't understand 
a ton about nutrition unless you know at least a little bit about research. So for me, it was a necessarily necessary evil to learn about you know epidemiology and biostatistics and research methods. Um, so I could actually read papers because you can only have somebody tell you so much, you know, and sort of like explain it like I'm five terms before it just gets a little bit too complicated. So yeah, I try to learn about research because I have to. <laughs> so then at some point you went back to get a PhD in nutrition? Yeah, so um, I concentrated in nutrition in, um, in an MPH program um, and then and then was also in business school for a sort of nonprofit stuff. Um, and then I went back to school for a PhD. And then um, after a few years, I had a bunch of joint problems and I was trying to get into powerlifting and I just kept breaking down and I had a surgery and that went poorly. And then I, I had some more surgeries and they all went poorly. And then um, I went to geneticist and was diagnosed with a condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is basically lacks uh, hypermobile joints. Um, and then because of various pain issues, I took a long medical leave um, and an indefinite hiatus. So that's where I stand now. And ideally, I like to go back, but, uh, you know, it's a slog and there's a lot to do for examine. So um, we'll see about that. Yeah, I know. I Before I went back to school to become a dietitian, I thought I wanted to get my PhD and I worked, I was a lab manager before that. So I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's not anybody's idea of fun or most. <laughs> yeah, it ended up, what shocked me, or not shocked me, but what hit me in the face is like the harsh reality was you don't have so much control over where you get to live. It's like wherever yeah. there's a position open, you gotta go. And then oh, well, you got to do your postdoc and you're moving all the time. It was just a lot. So yeah, all your friends already started their jobs. And I know. Normal lives. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> so how did the actual idea for examine.com come to life? Um, it sort of came about through Reddit, actually. So my co-founder is uh, more of the tech side and he was involved in domain name buying and he got this primo domain name, examine. Um, and he had lost a lot of weight using kind of basic evidence-based principles, um, you know, like uh, increasing walking and having occasional treats, but not being too extreme and yo-yoing. And then he wanted to use that kind of um, logic to help other people. So examine was the natural extension of that, but making it systematic. So at the time, there were websites that still exist now that have a lot of nutrition articles. Um, so like bodybuilding.com and uh, TMAG or T Nation or whatever, whatever it was called. And then the newer ones like Healthline, um, when they uh, acquired Authority Nutrition and some of the other ones. I used to write for them. <laughs> yeah, they, they dominate now in terms of search results. But back then it was mostly kind of bodybuilding stuff. And then Mayo Clinic and some other websites had outdated information. So examine was the one that had new information um, and tried to be more analytical and systematic um, and we started small with the main supplement entries and got bigger and bigger um, and now we're at a point where it takes so much effort to update one page that um, you know we need more money but we don't sell supplements so to make more money we have to try to figure out crafty ways to make money because we're never going to like really sell out I want to talk about that later, but yeah, I admire that about your website. I'm sure that makes a difference in terms of being able to claim your objectivity and stuff like that. So yeah, I actually, for people listening, they might not be familiar with this, but there's a tool called Wayback Machine where you can like type in someone's domain and then there's- Yeah, like, it's like the best best tool on that. 
Yeah, you can kind of spy on like what people's websites used to look like, which don't do that for my website, please. But anyway, I saw that yours first came about in like mid 2011 ish. And I like to frame this for people because sometimes they see where people are at now and they're like, oh, I can never do that because, you know, it's been almost a decade that you've been at this. So people should not be looking at examine.com and be thinking like that's where you started because everyone starts you know, at much more basic level. So yeah, like you said, you had like your list of supplements and it seemed like it almost was like a, like a contributor site at first. Like it said, oh, it's kind of like Wikipedia, except we check everything. How did you come up with that idea? And then what led you to change that maybe like a year later? So that more or less failed. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but um, in an ideal world, there would be some way that you could get contributions from everybody who knew about topics. But everybody has to be on the same page regarding research. Like even if there is a slight discrepancy, then analysis can be different. So um, if you read a paper and you say, you know, this is how we judge whether we're going to include this paper. Um, it has to be a controlled trial and blah, blah, blah. And then somebody who doesn't have as much experience working with you comes in, they might know a lot about epidemiology, but they might be like, well, you know, this, this is an observational study and it, it has 200,000 people. So that should be good enough. You know, like it's much bigger than this 20 person pilot trial. Um, and then they, they include it, but we might mention it, but we won't include it in our database per se, because it would muddy the waters. And that's even just like the most basic issue. Then there's dozens of little things that, that we talk about every day. So that couldn't work. Um, we might get back to a point where we can get more contributions from other people, but we we only get paid contributions now. So there's no longer like freely suggesting studies and commenting about stuff because somebody has to parse all of that. And it's not going to be me. So, <laughs> you know, that didn't work. It didn't really become a Wikipedia, but that doesn't mean that we can edge a little bit closer to that in the future. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I like to hear like people's thought process, like, oh, we thought we could build this, but then in reality, you know, the, the hard reality of what that means on the back end, like. <laughs> yeah, everybody's a dreamer until, you know, you wake up. Yeah. And then at some point you started at, at doing like a frequently asked questions section. Did that work out better? Yeah, um, the frequently asked questions work out pretty well. So uh, we should really expand that. Our website is maybe like, 80% supplement and diet pages that have the, the database, the human effect matrix, and 20% frequently asked questions, but probably people just want to know answers. Um, and we like to be systematic and make those databases. So we have at least 100 or 200 questions. Now we should have probably three or 400 because every little thing that I wonder about, I know everybody else wonders about, um, whether it's like little questions about um, gut health or metabolism or what have you, everybody has the same questions. So we should just get down to it. But again, then we need to hire people. And then take them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know you just mentioned the human effect matrix. Could you elaborate maybe on what that is for people who haven't been to your site yet? Sure. So um, it's basically a table that orders the evidence by outcome. So let's say um, the intervention is fish oil and the outcome is cardiovascular disease. Then the human effect matrix would only have human trials and it would show the effects and the matrix. But um, nobody remembers that name, so we're going to change the name. It's, just, it's been on the list for a while now. We just can't figure out the perfect name. But um, you can sort the matrix by the level of evidence, so how much evidence there is, how many papers, by the direction of the effect, so whether fish oil increases, decreases, 
slightly or majorly or is neutral towards heart disease. And then also by a couple other things. And then we have notes for the different types of studies. And we try to enter all the randomized trials that exist, um, unless they're really, really old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so helpful. I Seriously, if, if, if you're listening right now and you've not checked out <laughs> examine.com, like that's a great place when you get questions about supplements in particular, as everyone does. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, it's funny because it's really it's really good for health professionals, but it's not that great for lay people. And we know that, but we keep adding to it because it's pretty useful for health professionals. But it got to a point where like we didn't really used to make much money. We had one product and then we need to hire more researchers. So then we ended up having to hide the notes for studies. So you have to pay by being a member. But then some clinicians end up using the evidence very directly. You know, like EPA had this percentage change on on cardiac events. So I'm going to like recommend that my patients do this. And that's worth a lot. It's just that we can't make that very clear, you know. We have to hire better ad people or something to make it clear that like, hey, this is actually really useful. But I don't think people super understand that right now. Yeah. When you first started it though, like, was it just like a hobby? What was the vision? Well, I was previously working for Tufts Medical Center. Um, I was in school at Tufts for um, a PhD in nutrition. And while I was on medical leave, I started working at the medical center so I could pay rent. And they needed somebody, they needed a couple of people to come in and help with the project on vitamin D because they had been um, hired as an evidence-based practice center to work on the upcoming guidelines in 2008 or 9 or whenever that was. So the Institute of Medicine was was getting different studies from different centers, and we were doing the one on vitamin D and bone health, and then vitamin D and all outcomes. So people had to grind through like hundreds of studies. So I went through maybe like 100 of those. And as I was doing that, I, I would always read nutrition websites, and I knew Examine existed, but it was it was small and we were just doing a very small amount of stuff, right? We weren't doing like really comprehensive analysis. So then I was like, well, I think I'm going to leave this job and just do all examine because, you know, I was helping this project to like have more evidence on vitamin D and then later fish oil and some other stuff. But it was just rote, you know, like data extraction. And then the government wasn't going to change their their levels, right? It was predetermined that that's what the recommendations were going to be. Um, so I was like, well, I'll go, I'll go full-time examine. We'll try to get more employees. It was, it was a slog. It took years and years to try to figure out the right business model. But now we're at the point where it's fairly sustainable and we can kind of plug and play and think of a new supplement or new lifestyle intervention and start that matrix. But it, it wasn't easy. Like we changed the human effect matrix over the years. Um, we changed the way the site is organized and now we're reorganizing the entire website by main uses. So we just came up with about 25 uses, um, like autoimmune disease, muscle gain, that kind of thing. So that when you go to the website, it's not just how it is now where you're kind of fending for yourself and you just have to depend on the search bar to find what you want. So it, it's been, you know, progressively getting better, but it's a big website. So it's a slow progress. Yeah, I imagine. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's a good idea, though, in terms of organizing it by what people are looking for help with. I think that will help, especially for lay people, probably. (laughs) Yeah, because everybody usually has one thing they're really interested in. So okay, so looking back, I was kind of scoping out how the site transitioned over the years, because I'm just personally interested. I, I also have a membership site that I'm sort of shutting down 
similar-ish, not focused on supplements, but more like uh, functional nutrition recommendations for different health conditions um, that we make notes and post for dietitians, but it's all behind a paywall and I'm sort of doing the opposite and I'm just, I'm focusing on other things and it's just going to become like publicly available. And I'm just interested in the monetization strategies and stuff. So I see that you made your first kind of paid product, which was a supplement guide in I believe 2013. So maybe like two years in, and I think it was $39 and it was supplement recommendations organized by health goals. And how did that go? Like, how did you even come up with that as an idea to put out and was it successful? Well, so um, the site wasn't monetized and we had to make money, but it would take money to hire people to make a product. So we were a little bit in a bind. So the supplement goals reference was basically a downloadable PDF of the entire website. And then as we built more pages um, around certain outcomes, um, like heart disease would list all the supplements, but then we ended up making a human effect matrix in the heart disease page that listed the supplements um, and then those outcomes. So kind of a cross tab. And the supplement goals reference or whatever it's called at the time ended up being like a thousand page downloadable PDF which people actually wanted back then because internet connections weren't as fast. So people wanted to download it so they could quickly find what they wanted without having to like search the whole page. And then at some point we also hid those outcome pages. So then you could see the human effect matrix, but not the entire thing. So it was partly hiding and partly providing a service for downloadability. And then we would notify you when things were updated. So it stayed that way for maybe two to four years. Um, and that made some money, but it wasn't, it provided some value, but it wasn't anything new. And it was just mostly the website. So then our next product was the supplement guides. And that was our first kind of new one. And that took a lot of effort. We worked on it and we brought in somebody from one of the other one or two big uh, databases that dietitians and other health practitioners use. And we just cranked out these supplement guides for some of the main uses. Uh, where we covered the supplements that have enough evidence to possibly be recommended, the ones to watch out for, and some safety warnings. And then that did really well, but that took a ton of effort because we had to like, you know, we brought in um, a pharmacologist to see if like we were on track for certain supplements for the safety warnings. And then like we really had to be on our games and then we had to make graphics. So we had to include that infographic angle. And that was tough. That took time. So Combined, those first two products were really our first kind of five or six years. Yeah, I can imagine that was a lot of work. And then you're like, okay, we're done. And then new studies come out and you're like, dang it. <laughs> I can relate to that for sure. So was that enough though? Like you're like, okay, this is sort of a business model. Like did it at least fund what you needed it to fund for the site? It did. It, it funded it. But then we ended up being um, susceptible to like everybody is to Google search results. So at a certain point, our tra traffic went down a lot. First, like 10% and then like 40%. Yeah, with that big update, that was a nightmare. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I was like, no. And then we, I guess we got looped in, not looped in, we got, you know, roped in with all the alternative health websites that aren't, there's this weird gray area where somehow if you talk about evidence for supplements, but then somebody else talks about evidence or supplements as well as crystals for healing, then you could get looped in together. 
And we ended up sort of getting that. And we went from being in the top 10 search results for certain pages like creatine and fish oil to like on page eight, which nobody scrolls to. Um, and then we were in trouble. I remember people were like up in arms on Twitter. They were like, why is examine.com being punished? <laughs> yeah, and it was not cool. And then like the, the other co-founder was trying to get in touch with Google, but you can't just do that. You know, Google's this monolith in the background. So we tried and then it took a year and a half and I don't know why, but we got part of our traffic back. But in the meantime, we had to figure out how to make up some money, right? Because we have employees and we couldn't just fire them. So then... Um, I, I had been wanting to do a membership and we hadn't had a membership and, or we had a research digest, but we didn't have a membership for lay people. So I knew that, you know, consumer reports had a membership and they did okay. And then I guess didn't do as okay and whatever. But I was like, well, I, I think we're in a different uh, business niche because there is no membership for lay people interested in nutrition. You know, there's like the, Harvard Health Letter, the Tough Nutrition Letter, the Berkeley Letter and stuff. But there isn't something where if you want to know about nutrition and you want updates systematically, you know, how can you get them? And we started something, uh, Examine Plus, which was basically a rebranding of the Supplement Goals reference, but it, it didn't focus on the downloadable PDF. It focused on the human effect matrix. That was really cheap. And then we came out with like a, a big new product, Examine Personalize, where you would get month by month updates in the areas you were specifically interested in. We would summarize the latest studies really simply, you know, like in two to three paragraphs. So then you'd, you learn about the hot new studies, all the studies that applied to you. And then uh, a few months ago, we were in the position where we had both of these products and we were financially doing okay despite of COVID, but then I didn't think it made sense. You know, we had this sort of artificial product, the plus product that was a rebranding of a previous product. Then we had a really cool new extra useful product, examine personalized. Um, so I was like, well, plus is making us a lot of money because it's cheap, but should we keep it around because it's not helping people as much as, you know, another product. So we ended up getting rid of it and merging it into personalized and that was risky and our profit went down for a while, but you know, hopefully it's on its way back up. I mean, I'm subscribed to Examine Personalize. It's really helpful. Yeah, and I, I'd like to just get it to where we have fewer products and we focus on making them good because we fragmented a bit too much. But yeah, just as long as, I think as long as things are useful, people eventually buy it. And you don't have to have, you know, like a domain name like examine.com because even the big players, like before it was um, incorporating the Healthline, Authority Nutrition, was not this like one word awesome domain. It was just a guy working really hard and then eventually hiring other people. Um, and the same is true of most other websites in this area. So I think it's mostly working hard and getting a very simple, useful product out there and cranking away. And we had the advantage of a good domain name, but then we screwed up by like floundering with different products for a few years. So now that we're simplifying, hopefully we can go forward and do what most people should do from the beginning, which is hard work on a, a limited product offering. What I like about Examine Personalized is if you do any sort of writing. So I used to be, I used to freelance write for Authority Nutrition and then Healthline after it got bought. But even when you're doing stuff like that, it's a lot of work to keep up on what's current. So I like that you summarize the different studies and then they're organized like on the website. So you can actually like 
log in and be like, okay, I'm, I want to check out what's going on about this in the last few months. All right there. Whereas, I mean, I'm also subscribed to some other things like Science Daily, where they like email you like a hundred links a day <laughs> to stuff, but like, which is great, but it's not really that organized. So I find it helpful to, to have a place to go and check to see what's most relevant and new. Um, so I can include that in my articles. Yeah, the whole goal is to make it as easy as possible. And we're maybe like halfway there now. So right now, you can pick out of the 25 categories, let's say you pick, you know, autoimmune disease, um, muscle gain, and cardiovascular disease, we will cover all the important studies, you know, we might do it that month or the next month, but we cover all of them, because we have a really long PubMed search string for all the different categories. And then we're always altering the search string to make it more or less sensitive to make sure we get the right studies. And the dashboard is fairly easy right now. But the dream is to know the most important study that applies to your habit change that you're considering. And if we could make that easy, then that would be awesome. Like, for example, um, you know, my, my issue is chronic pain. So if I wanted to know like if there was a supplement that helped this certain aspect of chronic pain in a trial that applied to people like me for over three months, and I want to be notified right away and get like even maybe a push notification on my phone, that would be worth so much. I almost wouldn't care about anything else because then I would know that I could use that right away. And right now, the best way we do that is through our supplement guides, but there's always going to be a lag there because we have to accumulate the data, copy edit it review it, external reviewer, publish it, make the infographic. But if you get the study right away, especially if you're a dietitian, because then you can tell your clients, then that'd be awesome. But we're, we're probably six to 12 months away from that. Maybe it'll happen. No, I love that idea. I do think that would be valuable for sure, especially for people like on the ground working because who has time? I mean, <laughs> you, you like to think that you have time to go through and comb the current lit, but not usually. Yeah, nobody really has time. That's the universal nowadays. So what made you, with all the other like monetization possibilities, like display ads or affiliate links and stuff like that, like why did you decide to not use those? It was basically a bet that we could make enough money without monetizing in normal ways to keep our objectivity. And, it, you know, the, the bet had okay odds, but not great odds because... By far, the best way, easiest way to make money is through having ads. And um, it's a, also a fairly reliable source of money because people at other websites have to sell product. But we thought once we had one ad, then we would make money. But then eventually people would be like, hey, if there's this ad for this company supplement on your supplement evidence page, how can I trust you? So it was a long play. And um, it's kind of paying out now. Because for several years, we were like doing okay, and then break even, then terribly, then terribly again, and trying to figure out how to scramble and make money and then better. Now I think we're somewhat sustainable, hopefully. Although when COVID started, we were like, uh oh, but I don't know, we'll see this winter, I have no idea what's going to happen. I, you know, I hope everything works out vaccine wise and stuff and the economy, it's all basically the same issue. But if things go sort of okay, then I think people will be okay to use the website, possibly personalize or, you know, whatever they find useful to help their health. And we have a COVID category, but we're not COVID experts, right? So we have a page on COVID, we had a page on COVID masks, um, we had a little bit on COVID supplements, but all people wanted to know at the beginning in March and April was, you know, should I take elderberry for COVID? And 
And they would email us and be like, you know, we can't tell you what to do because there's literally no studies. So this is not a cold, it's not a flu. You can't really use previous studies. So we have a section in personalized for studies on COVID, but it tends to be studies about non-supplement related things because there haven't been that many studies on supplements for COVID. Um, and people just want to know answers, but we can never really provide those answers. Even in supplement guides, we don't give recommendations. We just say, this is like a certain tier of supplements that have at least a few randomized trials of you know, legitimate uh, methodology. And then you, you might want to consider them. Yeah, I actually, I like that about your site. I think I wrote this down somewhere. Like you basically say like, no one knows everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're just trying to, to be objective and show you what's out there and like you can make your own deductions basically. But I think that's really a good reminder because there are so many people out there who are like kind of almost acting like they know everything <laughs> and when science is not even like that, you know, it changes all the time. Yeah. I mean, one scroll through Twitter or Instagram and there's, there's roughly a billion experts on. Yeah. Well, before we move on to, I, I do want to hear more about like how, how exam.com like runs day to day, but going back to when that big giant Google update happened, I know you might not know all the answers to these questions, but did you guys like kind of re-strategize, you know, with all the emphasis on like EAT and like expertise, authority and trustworthiness. Did you change anything in terms of what you present on your website and all that? We changed maybe a couple of small things. Our first reaction was to panic. And then um, we asked for SEO advice. And then um, my co-founder started in this space, like, you know, domains, SEO and stuff. And I started in nutrition. So I was like, oh, what do we do? Like everything just keeps going down. And then and he was like, well, there's like nothing really obvious to do, you know? And I was like, right. well, we have to hire somebody, you know, let's hire somebody for like a quick contract work to see what, what we might be able to do. And then we would hire this person and that person for little jobs and they would give all these recommendations, but there weren't that many that actually seemed like they would make a difference or if we tried them, then they would. We ended up splitting the supplement pages into two where there was the main page that had the, the summary and the human effect matrix. And then we made a separate page that had all the extra detail to maybe make it more easily browsable. And then we had the about page linked like somewhere random on, on the site. And I always hated that. So it came back up to the top. So that's something, you know, maybe for trustworthiness. And then we might've done like one other thing, but everything else failed. Nothing changed anything. And we don't even really know why we regain part of our traffic. We regain maybe like 30 to 40% of the traffic that we lost, which is, I can't complain, but we don't know why, you know, the Google black box only tells you so much. So. Yeah, I know. It's so hard. It's so hard to know, but that was like a very shocking time. I remember when all that happened and everyone's websites were like, Pew! Yeah. <laughs> And everybody's looking to the overlords, like, what did you do? How can we fix this? But it does seem like at least your site is at least partially recovering. Like not everybody's did. So at least that's a yeah, good sign. I, I wish I knew, you know, some simple steps people could take, but I don't know if there are any simple steps. At the time we were not, not like angry or maybe a little bit angry or resentful because we would previously be ranked for one of our more detailed pages. And then when you would search, you would get these really generic pages from like big generic websites that hadn't been updated in many, many years. 
And we just felt like Google was preferring safety, which is fine. But then when you, when you cast too wide a net, then there go like the individuals. And it's something that I don't love in general because we don't, like we've been approached by um, investors, you know, like, hey, are you interested in like selling this portion of your company or whatever? And then I don't have a lot of money, right? Like I probably have less money than most of the people listening. And I, I also have a ton of loans. So I would love to take money. And then, you know, I'm in LA right now, but even LA is too cold for me. Like I get almost borderline rain odds or whatever. So I love to like get a little condo in Hawaii and go there and then just kind of, and get a personal assistant, but um, we haven't taken money because like the hope is, is that we can grow it and have control of our own thing. So we're like a small time success story. And it's the odds always seem long because, you know, like now that COVID happened, like big companies get huge and then small companies stay the same or like, you know, get smaller or go away. So you have to try extra hard as an individual. But I, I do think there's something to be said for if you're a solo entrepreneur, if it's just a couple of people outsourcing something either to an assistant or somebody in charge of logistics can be a huge help. My co-founder got somebody and then got another part-time person. And that's cleared up enough mind space where we can think about these bigger issues that we've been talking about. And even just working super hard to get to the level where you can afford somebody like that, I think is really worth it. I struggle with that too, in terms of outsourcing. Because when I was freelance writing, it was easier because it would be like, okay, I know I'm getting X, Y, Z amount, so I can take this percentage and outsource it to this person and I'd never be in the red. <laughs> yeah, but with other types of business models, it's not so cut and dry, especially when it's all on you. And nobody can really tell you what to do either, which is a tough part. There's no heuristic for like, once you work a certain number of hours a week, then outsource this. You know, you just kind of have to make up your own rules. So currently, it seems like you do have a lot of people. Like on your website, it says you have like researchers, reviewers, editors, advisors. Are those all like people being paid on your on your team, or are they volunteers, or like how is it all organized? <laughs> on our Slack, we have eighteen people, and those are maybe like half to two thirds full time, and then the rest are part time. And then for the research digest, we also contract with five to seven additional uh, researcher writers that only work on the digest and two reviewers, external reviewers who double check our reviewing. And then uh, we occasionally bring in some little bits of part-time help. So our team is around 20 people, let's say roughly. And then maybe about two thirds of those are research related and the rest are tech or logistics or graphics or that kind of thing. What's like the workflow like? Like who comes up with the topics? Do you do any research to come up with the topics or how does that go? So originally it used to be like, you know, oh, I'm interested in this. And then I would write about it. Somebody else would write about it. And then now it's, uh, it's only slightly more rigorous than that. It's like, if somebody on the team is interested in something, then we'll bring it up. But we also have, we see what search results were sent to us, but didn't come up with a hit or searched on the website and didn't come up with a hit. But then uh, we're not always sure whether we should cover those things. So an example is um, like, I've wanted to have a, a low FODMAP page for at least a couple of years. I was at uh, A&D, the, the conference maybe two, three years ago, and 
I remember getting a flash drive from the, the researchers there with all the FODMAP studies. And I was like, okay, this is a sign, got to make a page. But there's like so many other supplements and diets and nutrients. And then two or three years passed. So then we asked on social media, should we do a low FODMAP page or a page on a Kratom or Kratom or however you pronounce it? The sort of opioid um, substitute, the natural one. So it was totally split, you know, like on platforms where there are more dietitians, it was like FODMAPs. On ones where there's more lay people, it was like Kratom. So then I was like, hmm, which one should we do? And then <laughs> we ended up instead now doing uh, menstrual cups because uh, thinking changed. At a certain point, I was going back through old notes from team meetings and distant years in the past. And I was like, we had this discussion where I was like, you know, we have all these guys on our team. At the, that point, we had literally one female. And I was like, we have a very narrow perspective here. Or mostly guys in our 20s, 30s, and then now 40s. So then we brought on another female, but then still we we mostly covered, if we covered hormonal issues, it was always like testosterone. So a few weeks ago, I was like, maybe we should just make a page on menstrual cups. It's it's something that you know people wonder about. And I don't think there's an evidence page on the internet. So there went low FODMAP again, you know, it got like pushed again. But this uh, menstrual cup page should come out you know, soonish, and I hope it's useful. And uh, I'm never sure, like, whether we should do literally what makes us the most money, which would probably be to have a new testosterone page every month, because people pay infinite amounts of money to, like, increase their testosterone, or, like, do what I think is best. Because, like, when we were in the first two or three months of COVID, then then I wrote a page about inequalities, um, and then another page about, uh, like, differences between um, genders and effects. And, like, we got so many angry emails. It was like, stay in your lane, don't get into politics. And I was like, this has nothing to do with politics. It's just, there's this thing called COVID that's really important right now. And nope, like people don't want to hear it. They just want to know about muscle and fat. So I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, but we have to get some kind of balance. I know. I love the suggestion about looking at what people are typing into the search bar and what you don't have yet. Cause I totally do that for my site too. That's like one of the main ways. Um, and obviously keyword research, but like when, at least for my membership site, it's all behind a paywall. So that doesn't matter so much yet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, that's insightful to hear. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around the bigger picture. So you like pick a topic and then basically your researchers are like, okay, I'm going to get on it. And then they just. Yeah. So step step one is pick the topic. And ideally the plan used to be that we would have update signals for picking a topic to either make a new page for update for And I think that might actually be a term used in research update signals where there's like a certain number of new trials or the effect might have changed by this amount. So then it's time to update the page. Um, And that's how systematic reviewers might figure out how to make new systematic reviews. And then when the researchers start for us, then uh, they do a PubMed search like everybody else does. And we start with meta-analyses so that we don't duplicate work. Um, Then we go down from there. But the hardest part is conveying the, the findings we could get research robots from whatever school, whether it's um, epidemiology or dietetics or whatever, and then spit out findings. But it's really like making the summary really finely tuned so that people don't get lost in it and writing about things that people care about enough, but not too much. So like when or when should we not talk about confidence intervals or variability or should we never talk about that? And then what different sections should we have? Like if we talk about intermittent fasting, should we group together 16-8 fasting 
with other types of similar fasting or should we have separate pages on the different ones? And those are the things that we're never super sure about. So we debate back and forth on Slack all day, every day. <laughs> and then, so you put, how long does it take, would you say to like put a new page together? Um, it might take about a week and a half or, or two weeks. And that includes doing the research, um, writing up the page, entering the studies into the human effect matrix and copy editing and reviewing. And that's kind of a best case scenario. So usually it's more like two to three weeks. Yeah, that seems pretty fast to me, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of fast. But then um, some of the pages from from days long past would take eons, you know, like yeah. uh, fish oil or cannabis or something with hundreds of studies um, that could take months. And then did you always have that sort of a multidisciplinary team or were, did you expand as you started to realize like, oh, we're going to talk about this. Maybe we should consult with this XYZ type of expert. We tried to be multiple, multiple, uh, multidisciplinary from the beginning, but you know, we, we could only afford to do so much. We would ask people like for advice and help, but we found out you have to pay people to get it. So we started out with what minimum we felt is necessary. And now we have most of our bases covered. And as long as there's two to three people that are uh, Renaissance people that have fingers in the pies of different research areas, then we know at least we can figure out when we don't know enough and need to bring in outside help. How did you even find those people? I started out in forums on the internet and I was in um, a paleo forum. So I know it's like passe now, but at the time I was in school for nutrition and I was reading some stuff about saturated fat, you know, study, neutral studies, studies about replacing with polyunsaturated fat, studies about not replacing it. And I was on this paleo forum going into details about it. And eventually I posted so much that they were like, just, just be a moderator. I was like, fine, um, I'll do this free labor for you. And then uh, there ended up being a couple experts in there. But the thing is, most of the experts were people with stuff to sell. They weren't just academics, mm -hmm. but through those people, I kind of found other people. An issue is that like the experts seen in the mainstream, you know, Dr. Oz or whoever, you know, they almost certainly are not experts, experts in many of these nutrition areas. And then the experts with a ton of Instagram followers often are also not experts, experts, because the amount of time it takes to post all day, every day could be taken doing research. So then in the middle of those two people, like, how do you actually find these, these people like, you know, in the battles and they can be in Twitter. They used to be in forums, but not anymore. But then there's also just kind of word of mouth. So there's websites that, that either employ or are in contact with various people who generally know stuff. And one of them is precision nutrition. You know, they have or had a decent amount of rational writing and then Authority Nutrition and Healthline is similar. And, and there's things to nitpick about for all websites, including ours. So for ours, you could say like, it's just too much stuff sometimes, or maybe it's not updated at times or it's hard to navigate. For Healthline, you could say like, maybe it's, it's not deep enough, you know, like there might be more coverage. And for Precision Nutrition, they don't even try to be systematic, but you know, that's the way it goes. But just getting some sense of who the people are that are balanced is really the first step. But nowadays, really, like, even some previously balanced people seem to have opinions on literally everything. It's hard to, like, get followers and stuff saying, like, yeah, sometimes it's good to use a low-carb diet. That's, like, not good enough. You have to really stake out your claim. 
Yeah, the perils of nutrition. Well, speaking of, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of all the different websites, I know I got your email a while back when you sent out like, oh, you know, these are all the things that we see as kind of like mistakes on our website. And you listed it out like in different categories, like, oh, content mistakes, like, oh, I don't think we're focusing enough on chronic health conditions or presentation mistakes, like we'd like to do more audio and video or even organizational stuff like improving the diversity of your team and stuff like that. And I, when I got that, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, you know, I've never seen a company do that. I don't know what the, if everyone, the feedback you got was like good or not, but I thought it was awesome. <laughs> it was mostly good. There was one um, or a couple of haters. One person sent me an email saying like, you can stop the virtual signaling. I was like, well, you literally can't do anything then with that virtual signaling. Like we could, we could say like, here's all the mistakes and here's them corrected. And we'll update you right away. If there's something you're interested in, they'd be like virtue signaling. Um, but mostly people liked it. It wasn't my original idea. I took it from one of our external reviewers, um, Stefan Guillenet also works for a, a nonprofit philanthropy aggregator evaluator called givewell.org dot com or something so they had a similar thing where they listed mistakes it was different than us because we're like um, an evidence-based whatever but i like that um because i don't quite have the money to like donate lots of money but i was like if i ever get money then i'll use that website to figure out how to donate best so similarly here i was like well you know people might be interested to know the journey a little bit um and then it's also a little bit of vulnerability like if you look at any specific website Websites always seem like, hey, here's this new thing and it's true. But what if it's not true? Or what if some of the previous things weren't true? Like, I'd want to know. So uh, we put some of that and we try to update it quarterly. But again, it's that push and pull. Like, people thought it was cool at first. Um, and then on our third iteration, some people were like, I don't care. You know, post about testosterone. They didn't really say that. But so, um, but I want to update it because we can't really, really have a roadmap per se, because things change quickly, but I at least want some accountability for us. Right. So we will update it and we'll, we'll try to let people know maybe three times a year. Totally. And I, that's exactly where my mind went. Cause if you use like software programs, like they always have, or not always, but most of them have a roadmap of like where they've been and where they're trying to go and they update it and you can check in and see like, Oh, they added this feature and like, this is what they did. And I never really see that with informational products. So I thought that was helpful. Yeah, maybe it's uh, like for the masses, it might be a flaw. You know, if it's important to be very confident, then that can that can take you places. But I'm like the least confident person I know. So uh, that's probably why we have this page because I'm on like every day about half of them. <laughs> well, now that it's been like almost a decade really um since you've launched this website do you have any like really big lessons or takeaways that you've gotten out of this experience yeah there's a a few i think maybe the biggest one is um like when working with other people or hiring people or whatever then fit is way more important than i could have possibly imagined so right now we're looking for a medical editor slash medical copy editor and i was making the uh, application form the other day and I made three sections and one was about their writing ability. One was about their science knowledge and one was about fit. And I put one or two questions in fit. And I was like, you know, I need to put a lot more because I need to know that they're not a robot and they're kind of chill. And when we talk about stuff, then they can display weakness if they need to. 
and you can talk about life or memes or whatever. Okay. We've hired pretty good people, but it would have begun to know that in the beginning. It doesn't matter if you spend 10 hours or 15 hours a week reading studies, but if you're really cool, it's worth way more than if you're like, maybe you don't want to interact with them in real life, only online. Uh, so that was pretty important. And also just starting simple. I think we still sometimes fall into the trap of making things a little bit too complicated. We're editing our Black Friday, Cyber Monday emails right now. And we have this discussion about how long to make them and how many emails to put out and stuff. And it's always uh, me against my co-founder because he comes from the business side and I'm from the research side. And then even though I went to business school, I'm, I'm still like, that's not my forte. And I'm always like, let's just do as minimum as possible. You know, and then he's like, let's try this and let's try, you know, this way around it. And the right solution is usually exactly halfway between us. It's to do like one step beyond as little as you can do for marketing, logistics and stuff. Um, because I'm usually not correct. And like, if you build it, they will come. And he's usually not correct. And that like, if you do this marketing hack, then 10 more people will come. That's usually halfway in between. That's really interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, but I bet it's a good balance between somebody who's more in the marketing side and, you know, the more in the trenches with the nutrition. Yeah, if there were two of me, it wouldn't work out. Yeah. If there were two of him, it wouldn't work out. So where do you guys see this going in the long run? Like maybe in the next 10 years? In the next at least year or two, uh, we're hoping that the membership becomes like more widely accessible. And that involves like paying a company to do ads for us because we failed doing that. So if that works out, then at least there will be more awareness of that. And then if we can, using terrible buzzwords, leverage that into becoming more of a household name, then we can get into not just lay people and clinicians becoming aware of us and using our stuff and eventually buying our products if they're interested, but also companies. And we did have uh, a large prestigious academic center three years ago approach us um, to, to see if we're interested in making something for them so they can use our database on a proprietary basis um, for their doctors. But that didn't work out first because I didn't really feel comfortable with it because we have too many errors on the website. Even if there are small errors, I don't feel comfortable because if we're on the hook for some proprietary you know, service we give to uh, academic medical center, then I don't want to be responsible for that. But then the other thing is like the stakes are really high then then it's like beyond me and my co-founder. It's not you, like you have to get somebody in there to do this stuff for you. Um, and we're not at that stage. If we ever get to the stage where like we're consistently above a certain level of profitability and then we can hire enough people to round out all of our web pages, then we can maybe hire a businessy type person to help us do this. But for now it's just us. Like we're still this sort of ragtag team of, um, you know, like just normal people. I'd love to get to the point where we can hire a businessy type person, but it's probably going to be several years. Yeah. Well, I admire your perseverance. <laughs> you know, I think it's a good reminder for everyone listening, you know, starting a business takes time. It's not like, especially with websites, it's not like, oh, 12 months in, you're like rolling in the dough. <laughs> You've got millions of visitors. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like starting really big like us, like, hey, everything about nutrition and supplements, probably not a great idea. But if you if you actually start a website anew, 
then going that specific route, nutrition for kidney disease or whatever is awesome. Cause then you can always expand out if you need to. That's really good retrospective advice. I, it, a very common trap though. I think that people, they want to be everything for everyone. And then as you get into it, you're like, oh shoot, <laughs> you can't really be everything for everyone. Yeah. I was just doing that earlier this week where um, we're starting to make more audiovisual content. So I was making a video and I was like, well, we could cover this and this and this and this. And then it ended up being really long. I was like, nobody's going to watch this video. So I'm cutting it down by myself and this video editor right now. And I'm like, if I would have just started with something really small a few years ago, we could have had a YouTube channel now and like gotten it growing, but nope. Well, thank you for all the hard work that you are doing on the supplement research and stuff, because I don't think anyone else really is doing that. So it is valuable. And I guess to close out, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to kind of explain even more what Examine Personalized is and like how to sign up for it if people want to check it out. Sure. So, um, so Examine Personalized, the original name was like Plus or no Pro or something. And I was like, no, let's just call it what it is. It's a way to examine your personalized health issues whatever it is, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, bad skin, whatever, everybody has at least one health issue, unless you're at a young enough age where you're lucky. But if you have a health issue then, and you're a human being, then you want to help it. And medication can be helpful and surgery can be helpful, but doing it naturally is typically the best way, whether it's diet or supplements or whatever. And we don't care if you buy supplements or don't, we'd rather you not if you, if you don't have to, but if a study comes out on a diet or a supplement or a lifestyle intervention, we want you to know it. So we take every study and we summarize it. And it takes about an hour to summarize the study. We read the full text, not just the abstract. And then a copywriter goes through it. Then I go through it. Then if I need to, I get another reviewer to go through the summary. And the summary is only three paragraphs, but we really go through it to make sure it's true. And then we list it out in that category. So for example, for this coming month, we have something like 12 to 15 studies under the autoimmune um, category of various autoimmune conditions for heart disease. We have different ones. More of those are about diet than supplements for autoimmune. It's typically more supplements than diet, I think. Um, and then we summarize all of those and there's a dashboard where there's collapsible sections and you can check off as many sections as you're interested in. The average person checks between four and six. And then we have different clusters that you can pre-check if you're interested in fitness or or in you know um, aging, then there are certain clusters you can check. And just from now until you drop your membership, you get notified every month of the most important new studies on that topic. And it's just useful. Like it's probably the most useful nutrition thing I've ever seen, especially if I had my own website because it gives you content. Um, and there's nothing else that gives targeted content like that that is pre-checked and true. Otherwise, you would have to read the full studies yourself. And we don't even always fully understand the full studies. You know, if there's a study that, for example, started with a mouse study, then it also did a small study on 10 people, but then it contradicted the study the same research group did a year ago, what to make of it? You know, like, I have no idea. That's why I have to ask somebody on the team to go back and do that. So we do that all for you. Um, and we try to make it in relatively easy to understand language. Um, and as time goes on, as there's more studies, we start referring back to other studies we covered. So there was a study on um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and curcumin. It was a systematic review in our second month in July. And then there was another systematic review a month or two ago. So then the question is, oh, if somebody has 
either fatty liver from this for this reason or this reason, then should they consider curcumin? And how does this systematic review differ from that one? Was it people with more severe conditions? So then we go back and we say, we covered this in a previous issue. This is how the study is different. So we're evolving over time. We hope it gets more and more useful because of that. Yeah. I mean, I teach people how to create content for their blogs. And one of the like tenants is, you know, that you should go back at least annually to update it and include the recent research. So in my opinion, that's one of the greatest uses of examine personalized because it's, you don't have to do your own necessarily like crazy lit review and read every single paper. You can get a jumping off point of what to look at. Um, cause you guys did that already. So I like it for that. And then I, I'm not working with any clients one-on-one, but I can imagine if you are working with people one-on-one, that's a great way to keep up on like what's current, especially if you have clients who bring those types of questions to you, you can be like, oh yeah, I did see that. And like, blah, blah, blah. And you're, you know, you're already up on it. Yeah. Like people email us all the time seeing studies. And I think with everybody being on their computer all the time now, it's very easy for somebody to just see a study and ask you what you think. So at least knowing the most important studies is important. Unfortunately, every month there's about 150 important studies. So, <laughs> you know, like at least just knowing what exists, if not reading the summaries yeah. is, is good enough. And then also you can always say like, oh, I'm not sure, but let me like check and I'll get back to you. And then, you know, yeah. maybe the study's already on examine personalized and then it's a lot easier for you. Yep. So. Cool. Well, thank you. Um, where should people go if they want to check out it, is Examine Personalized just like very clearly on the homepage of examine.com or? Yeah, if you go to examine.com, it says membership with like a, a red bar that says new, even though it's not new, it's several months old. Um, but if you <laughs> click on membership, it'll go to the personalized page. Um, and then if you want to contact me, then uh, all the contact form entries on the website eventually go to me. So, um, you know, any questions or comments, I'm always open to hearing. And we always try to have one dietitian on staff working on personalized so that we get some perspective on the ground. So any additional perspective is always welcome. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm also an affiliate for Examine Personalized. I've sent out, I think, an email about it to my group of followers before, and a lot of people jumped in. So yay. So I'll also include my affiliate link somewhere in the show notes for this podcast. Episode. Yeah, if you if you sign up, don't do it directly through our website. Just do that link because like, this isn't one of those things where somebody's selling something that's questionable. Like, I swear this is really pretty useful. If you're interested in research, there's nothing else in the world like this because nobody else can make enough money to do it. Well, thank you for all your hard work. Seriously. I love it. It's really my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And thank you, seriously, for being such a wonderful listener this year and hopefully subscriber. So if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button so you're getting all of the new episodes right when they come out. And you've seriously made my year or my first year ever of podcasting such a joy. We've actually doubled in size with our listenership over the course of the year from just 2,000 something monthly downloads way back in January to over 5,000 monthly downloads today. And not a single episode that we've put out has gotten less than 500 downloads. So that's freaking incredible. And seeing that growth week after week is what keeps me motivated and excited to show up for you every Monday. 
So if there's something I could ask of you for the holidays, it would be to share this podcast with at least one friend who you think could benefit. That would seriously make my whole year. You can send it to them on social media or email or even show them how to listen on their phone if they aren't familiar with how podcasts work and even help them subscribe right there. So these next two weeks, since I'm taking a little hiatus, would be the perfect time as well to catch up on some of the most popular episodes from this last year or just any episode that you might have missed. So just so you have them on hand, the top episodes of 2020 were the first two episodes, no surprise there, of the podcast because a lot of people go back to the beginning and just listen from episode one. And those in those two episodes, I talked about six ways to make money online as a dietitian. So those two episodes are the most popular. There's also episode number five, how to skyrocket your website traffic with SEO. Episode 16, building a six-figure virtual private practice with Tony Steffen. Episode 17, what to do when you don't know your niche. And episode 43, the story behind a successful 60K plus course launch with Melissa Groves Azero. So definitely check those out if you have some spare time. And happy holidays to you and yours. I will catch you in the new year. I hope you have a wonderful closing out of 2021 as much as it can be for this crazy year. Um, But seriously, thank you. Love you all. And I will see you in a few weeks.